0: Here is Lillibot Schumann concentrating. Woody Hayes on the sidelines is hopeless at this point. He can win it right here for Oklahoma. Mark Lucky is the center, but Hebert is the holder. Now Ohio State picks a timeout, and I was almost uh. sure that Woody would do it to build the pressure. Another interesting thing about this combination of personalities involved here, though, Mark Lucky, number 52, who does the snapping for Oklahoma is from Rosenberg, Texas. He is a freshman. Forty one yard field goal to win it. It is long enough. It is good. Wow. With three seconds to play in the game, the Oklahoma team and some of their fans have come onto the field in exultation as Juan hit it on the money. Just a few yards away from this exultation, Ohio State players still lie frustrated on the field, pounding the turf in frustration, walking dismally away. And it's 29-28 Oklahoma with three seconds to play in the game.
1: That is some vintage Keith Jackson right there. I love it. There were Ohio State players that were collapsed on the field after Oklahoma came back to win that game. That was an unbelievable moment. Uh, I think Barry Switzer was over there smoking a cigarette on the sideline back in the day. Thomas Lott got injured in the game. Billy Sims got injured in the game after the Sooners Went up twenty to nothing. The next week, Billy Sims got himself a spot on the cover of SI. Billy, it was Oklahoma. Okay, Billy Sims bounds over the Buckeyes. I can still remember getting that in the mail as a kid. But Parker Thune, that was one of the great moments in OU football history. And I think you were uh, a little bit late, maybe, to the party on Keith Jackson. Maybe you caught the tail end of his career, but that was vintage Keith Jackson right there.
2: Yeah. Now I remember. I remember watching games that Keith Jackson called when I was very, very young. The one that probably sticks out the most is the last game he ever did, which was the national championship game between USC and Texas at the Rose Bowl in 2006. What a way to go out, by the way. I know. Fantastic football game for that to be the last one you ever called. But, yeah, I remember Keith Jackson. I think the voice that I will always associate with college football, I think there are two. It's between these two for me. It's Brent Musburger and Vern Lundquist. Those are the two that, if you're my age, you probably grew up watching games that those two were calling on Saturdays more often than not.
1: Yeah, and uh, for my generation, it was it was definitely Keith Jackson. I'm almost positive, and I know somebody out there my age can uh, can verify this for me, I, I think the color voice, I'm 90% sure that was Arapah Parsegan the former uh, Notre Dame head coach. I'm almost positive, again, uh, the color guy that you heard, uh, you know, in a few seconds of that, uh, you know, that clip from the kick in 1977. I'm almost positive, again, it was Eric Parsegan. But that was a great moment in Sooner history. The kick, 1977, made it even better because of Woody Hayes' reaction. And we play that because the Sooners are 10 days away from kicking off their season. And Von Shaman wore number 10 for Oklahoma. What a great dude he is. What a great kicker he was. Uh, Been around Norman for a long time as well. And, uh, again, Woody Hayes, very combative uh, in terms of the – you know, the situation uh, with Oklahoma coming back to win that game. And Woody had, uh, believe it or not, Woody had a temper. We know that. That's how he got fired. He slugged Charlie Bauman in the Gator Bowl. Art Sleaster threw an interception. Charlie Bauman was over there by the Ohio State sideline. And guess what? Woody had enough. Maybe Charlie Bauman said face Woody or something like that. I don't know, but Woody Hayes slugged him, and he was gone the next day. But Woody was throwing his hat, man. He was not happy. He did the drive-by handshake with Barry Switzer, I think, after the game. Woody Hayes was very upset how the game turned out.
2: You also forget, and you gotta, you got to watch the clip as opposed to, listen to listening to it to realize this, but that was the era of turf, man. And we're not talking like nice AstroTurf that, like they have these days either. We're talking like carpet. And that's basically what – of course, it was that way at Owen Field yeah, for many yeah, years. Yeah, it was.
1: And uh, that, was,
2: that was when everybody was going turf.
1: Particularly, and the Sooners were running the wishbone at that time. So, uh, I don't know if you were a little bit faster on the old AstroTurf back in the day that uh, they had at Owen Field. Probably they were because Oklahoma was faster than about anybody in the country until Miami came around with uh, Jimmy Johnson. So, again, uh, you know, the Sooners, again, win that game in 1977 – As they beat Ohio State, one of the most memorable, memorable plays in Sooner history. Keith and Frank Broyles were the best of all time. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I I love Frank Broyles. Um, You know, he was great as well. And uh, but yes, uh, true Sooner validates it. I thought that was the answer. Era Parkus, Era Parsegan was the color guy that day.
2: You know who's going to be elevating himself to that same category here soon? Thomas
1: Herman. I saw that. You see, he's calling games now. Now, is he calling North Texas UTEP? Is that yes, right? Yes, that okay. is the game.
2: Wow, that is his first assignment as a broadcaster.
1: That's going to be very interesting. I wonder if he's going to make John Steinbeck references, like when he did the uh, of Mice and Men," you know, quote back in the day. So we'll
2: he's see. probably just going to stick in broadcasting in the long term because. Once you go to the broadcast booth, unless you are a revered name, unless you're somebody like John Gruden, well, pre-demise John Gruden, where you have built enough of a brand and you have built enough of a reputation that you can be coaxed out of the booth to take a big-time job and a big-time job only, if you don't have that type of status, generally once you go to the broadcast booth, your coaching days are pretty much over. We'll see if that's the case with Tom Herman. Tom Herman.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm sure there'll be a few Sooner fans. You know, first of all, uh, Notre Dame, and not Notre Dame, but Nebraska and Northwestern, I keep thinking because it's in Ireland, it should have Notre Dame involved, like you said yesterday, but uh, that game will be a little bit later. That's an evening game, right? UTEP North Texas, like at 6 o'clock, something like that. I I I do not know. But I'm sure there'll be a few Sooner fans watching that game, and you'll get to see Tom Herman In the booth, which is going to be very interesting. You know, all you have to know about Tom Herman, too, is that didn't he pal around with Zach Smith when he was at Ohio State? That's right, he did. (laughs) Oh, boy. Zach Smith, who took a penis pick in the White House.
2: Was that confirmed? That was an actual thing and not just a conspiracy theory? No,
1: I think that was confirmed.
2: Now, in hindsight... It makes a lot of sense, because who was employing both of those men? Well, it was Urban Meyer. Yeah. So, yeah. in hindsight, at the time, you know, it was, it was a big scandal. With I mean, Tom Herman was only really tangentially involved. Zach Smith was kind of the one at the center of all of it. But, knowing what we know now about Urban Meyer, that situation back in, what was it, 2014, 2015 makes a lot more sense these days yeah it
1: does no doubt about it but we'll see we will see somebody else is trying to say that it was Frank Broyles I, I it's not Frank I I know Frank's voice I am going with true sooner on this one as well that was era Parsigan you could go to YouTube and find it 1977 Oklahoma Ohio State and uh, you would probably find that it's era Parsigan So, But Frank Broyles did a lot of Sooner games back in the day with Keith Jackson, no doubt. A lot of those memorable uh, Oklahoma-Nebraska games as well. Okay, uh, Lasher, Home Comfort Systems, bringing you hour number one here on the home of Sooner fans. And uh, we appreciate that great company. Tim Lasher, of course, had his share of great field goals in Sooner history as well. 405-579-3113, that's 405-579-3113. I uh, I don't remember uh, – Patrick was saying that Uwe uh, recreated that kick at Putnam City a few years ago and still made it from 41 yards. Doesn't surprise me. The man was money back in the day, no doubt about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we've got a guest to talk a little Nebraska football. Coming up next here on The Ref, Nebraska, Northwestern this weekend, Grant Hansen. Nebraska on three, Ryder covers the Huskers. We'll talk to him coming up next here on the Riverwind Casino jackpot line at 405-329-9000. Hey, good to have you along. Wednesday, Mike Steely, Parker Thune here on The Ref, coming right back talking Huskers, Northwestern, and more next. Oh, Mike! I gotta give you the backstory on this guest. Yeah, I gotta hear it. All right, we've got uh, one Nebraska native, and we're bringing on Grant Hanson from On Three Sports to talk about uh, Nebraska football, Huskers, Northwestern coming up 11:30 on Fox from Dublin, Ireland this weekend.
2: Yes. So before we get to Grant, here's what you need to know, Steely. Uh, I've mentioned this to you before, but I started doing radio at the age of 14 very very young i was a you're freshman. like a
1: doogie hauser of broadcasting no
2: no because grant hansen is and this really? is why this is why when i started in radio at age 14 uh, my partner in crime, my co-host, was none other than this very individual that we're about to have on our airwaves. At the time, I want to say he was 11, if I'm not mistaken. So we've got so,
1: double Doogie houses here. We've Doogie got two Hauser. child prodigies on the radio together. Yes. Right so here. this is that's the, impressive. This
2: is the reunion tour for uh, Grant and myself. I guess since we signed off on our last show, what upwards of five years ago now, uh, we have not. Cro- well, we have crossed paths certainly but we have not interacted on a professional forum like this ever since so here we are and now let's talk nebraska wait a with minute Profes-
1: professional forum what uh what for this is i guess we're professional right S- semi professional okay semi pro we'll Reasonably call it semi professional grant we appreciate your time so uh 11 years old. How do you manage to get your own show at 11 years old? That's impressive. Uh,
3: yeah, I'd, I'd go with perseverance. I, I was going to say, I'm surprised Parker doesn't have the uh, the easy-peasy pumpkin squeezy uh, drop. Oh, man, thing.
1: I should have dug that one up.
3: Oh, I know, you've got it somewhere. I, there's a number of things. Where are you you uh, guys sound name. like
1: you were on Nickelodeon or something with that sound clip.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it's like... It was it was the middle of I think it was a Halloween show, and uh, and I meant to say lemon squeezy obviously, and then just the Halloween thing just kind of slipped in there. Um, but look, we had we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of different things um, that went on that was that were similar to that. Uh, gosh, my anti Steph Curry takes were just the worst actually. Looking back, like those were like some <laughs> of my worst takes ever um but yeah yeah it's a lot of fun and and you're right this is our first time uh kind of reconnecting in in a radio realm
1: all right well Nebraska football you know with the lofty standards that program has has been a lot of fun lately uh Scott Frost clearly on the hot seat 3 and 9 this team beat Northwestern 56 to 7 last year and they were in so many games against really good opponents but they they couldn't close the deal So this game against Northwestern, I mean, you talk about, you know, Nebraska is, I think, like almost a 13-point favorite now in this game Saturday in Dublin. Uh, And Scott Frost better win this one. And then he'll have an opportunity to really get perhaps a signature win against Oklahoma coming up September 17th. So what about this matchup, though, uh, coming up this weekend? And how hot is that seat for Scott Frost? About as hot as it can get right now?
3: Oh, yes. Uh, undoubtedly. Um, look, it's it's interesting because I, I think there's two ways you can look at it. Like, you can look at it that, yes, it's definitely a hot seat. Um, and, I, and I don't think there's really any doubt about that. But at the same time, everything about his career going forward hinges on this season. And everything that happened before this season really doesn't matter. Um, because he's either going to win the necessary amount of games to earn a contract extension. Um, That number, uh, we do not know. Um, I think, (laughs) I believe someone is currently doing a FOIA suit, uh, Freedom of Information Act, to try to get that number uh, since it's in a public university contract. Um, But he needs to, there's a certain metrics that he has to hit to keep his job. And so in some way, it's either going to be, look, the hotness is just depending on does he win enough this year or not? And so I think... You know, when it comes to Northwestern, it's a really fascinating exercise because the teams already played a week zero game a year ago that had really similarly high stakes. Uh, And so you talk about, they kind of talked about that a little bit this week and trying to strike a balance between, like, last year, they really recognized those stakes, and they were almost too tight going into it. And Garrett Nelson, uh, Scott Bluff native and somewhat de facto face of the program at this point, Huskers defensive end, talked about, like, like sometimes you're just so focused on trying to avoid hitting the obstacles that are around you that you you end up gripping the stick too hard and running into them basically if you, you know from a maybe like a, a, a pilot's perspective um, and so you just got to keep your you got to keep your mind zoned in on success so it's it's a fascinating game because again Nebraska's been here before they were here last year against Illinois um, but at the same time Northwestern has zero pressure on them. They have a bye week next week. Nebraska does not. They'll have to come back and play North Dakota. And so there's a really a lot of intensity on these first two games. And, again, sort of a microcosm for the season as a whole um, and Scott Pross job security.
2: Now, Stuart Mandel is already billing Nebraska versus North Dakota as a trap game. And, no, Nebraska has not been good as of late. But uh, even that is a little bit over the top for me. Uh, The Huskers should have a nice, cushy, easy victory in their home opener, regardless of the outcome in Ireland when they come back to Lincoln to take on the fighting Hawks of North Dakota the following week. But Grant, as you look at the offense for Nebraska, obviously you're shuttling out a four-year starter in Adrian Martinez in favor of a guy in Casey Thompson Uh, that has starting experience, the University of Texas, played pretty well at times last year, especially before uh, he had the broken finger uh, that appeared to pretty conspicuously affect, affect his performance down the stretch. So not, and not only do you have a new quarterback in Casey Thompson, you bring in a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple, the former OC out at Pittsburgh, who was calling plays for Kenny Pickett at this time last year. So, what are the expectations for this Cornhuskers offense and how much of a step up can they and do they need to take in 2022 as opposed to where they were a year ago?
3: Yeah, I think that second part of your question is the key. Uh, how much of a step do they need to take? Uh, because, look, let's be honest, the defense is going to be the strength of this team again this year. I mean, you you look at, again, well, the first place you just need to look is the captain, three of the four Captains for Nebraska's team are on the defensive side of the football. You get Oshawn Mathis, and so um, you add him in there. TCU transfer as a pass rusher. Uh, you know Nebraska hasn't had a double-digit sack um, pass rusher or defensive player since Randy Gregory, I think it's 2013, um, and then they haven't had a thousand-yard rusher since Amir Abdullah. Um, and so those two things kind of go hand in hand because those two positions, pass rusher on the defensive side, and on the offensive side, the running back room are kind of Nebraska's two most improved positions, at least in the minds of the players and the coaches who have spoke with us throughout fall camp. And so to kind of take it back to the offense, the question might not even really rely on Casey Thompson and what he can produce. Um, it, it, It could just be, can they do enough? Can they do enough? to support the defense to keep them in because the defense is going to keep them in games throughout the whole year. And then the running back side of things as well, Anthony Grant, uh, Juco college transfer seems to be kind of the lead guy in that room right now, but there are, you know, about between five and six guys that Nebraska feels pretty confident in at the running back position. And they all fill really different roles. You got Jacques Yant. You guys might remember him from a year ago, um, 235 pounds, I believe, right now, six foot two, And then you go all the way on the other side of things in Ramir Johnson, who is much smaller um, and, and weighs in about, I believe, around 175 pounds. And he's working in a new position for Nebraska, semi-new, kind of a Debo Samuel-esque wide back position. So they'll be, he'll be in the slot a little bit this season as well as taking some carries. And so they've got a wide variety of, of guys in that backfield, who could be really successful for them this season. Um, To me, like, there's talk there. I think that's important, Um, and not to ramble on too long here, but I think the linchpin for the offense and really for Nebraska's season as a whole is the offensive line. You're replacing Cam Juergens at the center position, a guy who is just tearing it up in the preseason right now. I think Nebraska fans are going to find out really just how good he was uh, once he was able to get his snap situation figured out. So you're replacing him at center. Bryce Benhart at right tackle, he's got the measurables. He's a a big dude, uh, but the problem was he was practically a revolving door last year at that position. His PFF pass protection grade was sub-30. And then on the left side, you've got Teddy Perhoshka, who a lot of people, he's an Elkhorn South native, um, or rather Elkhorn South product in Omaha. Uh, He's a guy who is about 6'9", 330, Um, So just absolutely massive dude, and that's a lot of people. A lot of people in Nebraska are putting their faith in him at that left tackle spot as Nebraska's best offensive lineman, but people have to realize he's played one and a half games. He tore uh, his ACL, suffered a major knee injury against Michigan. His first start was against Northwestern. He was able to complete that game before he got injured, and so I I think that is the biggest area of concern um, and biggest unknown for Nebraska is the offensive line, and it's going to really go a long way in determining how successful they are as a team this next season. Uh, and again, it lynches on, it, it hinges on those three guys. And then, of course, um, new uh, offensive line coach, Jonathan Riola.
1: Grant Hanson, our guest, covering the Huskers for On 3 Sports. You've got the Cornhuskers and Northwestern this weekend, Dublin, Ireland, eleven thirty on Fox. Nebraska, nearly a two-touchdown favorite in that game, and they hammered Northwestern in Lincoln last year, 56-7. to I want to get the mood of the Nebraska fan base. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska have a very rich history. I grew up, you know, game of the century. I can still remember watching that. I'm old, obviously, Grant. But the Nebraska fans were always among the classiest fans uh, OU fans ever encountered. I wouldn't put any other group ahead of them. Now, I don't know what it's like today. We've lost so much civility in modern society. But uh, I always felt that way about the Nebraska fans. But are Nebraska fans, uh, are they starting to think, well, it's just not going to be like we were used to having it, back with Dr. Tom or Bob Devaney? when we were just in the national championship hunt every year. Uh, have they resigned themselves to that, or is there still a little bit of hope that Nebraska can return to its old glory?
3: Look, I, I think there's a, a national perception right now about Nebraska that, that says, look, these people are just obsessed with getting back to national titles. That's all they think about. They think that's something that's on the table. And And to be fair, I think there are folks who exist who are in that, state of mind. I think the majority of folks just want to get back to a bowl game period. I mean, it, it's been close to, you know, it, it has been five years. Uh, the best season that Nebraska has had in the close to, you know, since the Bo Pelini era is, I believe, Mike Riley 2016. Uh, they went nine and three that year and beat Oregon at home. Um, but, you know, since then, I mean, it has just been disaster after disaster. And then especially in, the, in recent years, just fluky, weird losses. And so, I, th- I think the folks in general are just hoping to get to a bowl game, period. But I would say, uh, even, even on the civility side of things, th- there's a chance. I mean, I, I would say right now the fan base internally when it comes to Scott Frost and the rest of the program is extremely divided right now. Um, in, in many ways, it kind of mirrors the political discourse in our country where people are in very set camps. They're either the pro-Frost or the anti-Frost camp. And every headline, every piece of news kind of further confirms people's priors. Um, And so it's going to be a really, really fascinating season, especially if things don't go well in these opening weeks to see how the fan base, if the fan base starts to kind of eat itself alive, basically. Um, Because if if it goes south fast, I I think that's something that could certainly be on the table. Obviously, I don't don't think that spills over towards Oklahoma fans uh, when you guys come up to Lincoln earlier uh, or later on this year. But I think that's definitely something to watch. You know, if they start winning, nobody's going to care. But the general tenor of the fan base is just make a bowl game. The love of God, it's been
2: five years. One more question before we let you go, Grant. And this is one that I have to ask, uh, obviously – As we mentioned at the top of the segment, Grant and I were radio cronies for years and years, but now we both work for websites that primarily cover football recruiting. I for 24-7 Sports, Grant for On3. So, Grant, I have to ask you about the recruitment of Malachi Coleman. From the Nebraska perspective, where do
3: things stand in that regard? I think they feel pretty comfortable. Uh, Look, what's something that's really, really important to Malachi, and I'm not exactly sure— Again, how this is viewed from a national perspective around Coleman, but the nil side of things is really important to him and and not necessarily for him, in fact, really not for him at all. He uses it he donates back towards the foster community here uh, in in Lincoln. He's already got several deals set up uh, with that to begin with. Um, in fact, I even think I'm trying to remember I don't, I don't know I don't know exactly, but I believe his commitment announcement is somewhat centered around that um, but I think that's a really important factor to consider in his recruitment because he's already got a really, really solid connected mill base here in Lincoln to begin with. Um, And so his societal mission, um, I I think, is going to be harder to continue to cultivate elsewhere. Um, So I think that's one factor to consider. But in general, I believe Nebraska feels really, really confident um, about his status uh, when he commits later on in October, again him moving up that commitment date to begin with is something that I think uh, puts Nebraska in, in a better position. And even he, recently, I believe he he sent a tweet out, which was pretty creative actually. Uh, he was sitting in a bathtub uh, with a bunch of different like pictures of you know separate schools and, and the like that had, that had offered him. But he's wearing a Nebraska cap, and then apparently recently appeared at Bellevue West Camp. Uh, football camp before the season started, wearing Nebraska gloves. So there's little hands here and there um, that I think externally has has put Nebraska in a good position, I think, just in terms of where the fans are thinking things are at. I think internally they feel good about, about where he's at as well. Obviously, he's the crown jewel of the class. And so – and I'll add one more point here, and I don't know where you guys are running at on time. I don't want to take too much of it here. but
1: we, we got a couple I minutes. will
3: say um, that is another – huge, huge thing for Nebraska in terms of this season because the Huskers have been recruiting really, really well. Um, you look at moving back into areas like Texas um, and, and Louisiana, of course, with Mickey Joseph. So, you know, Nebraska's picked up some really good guys and moved back into areas where they haven't really been previously. And so even though the assistant coaches are under two-year contracts, let's say, you know, the season goes off the rails. Nebraska misses a bowl game again, and Scott Frost is fired either midseason or at the end. Um, You know, you got to wonder if those assistant coaches are even going to be around next year and how many of those players they'll be able to retain. So there's there's another layer of pressure really on this season for the future, especially in the recruiting aspect.
1: Grant, good stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll probably check back with you that week, uh, the week of September 17th, when the Sooners are in Lincoln uh, to take on the Huskers. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Grant Hanson covering the Huskers for On 3 Sports. All right, we'll break right here. Thanks again to our first-hour sponsor here on Steelman & Thune. Last year, Home Comfort Systems, they're family-owned and operated, servicing the greater Oklahoma City area now for 15 years, all the way back to 2007. You need AC help, give them a call, 405-579-3113. All right, a former Sooner assistant speaks out on this edition of Oklahoma Football coming up in 10 days. We'll tell you who it is. Coming up next on The Ref. Okay, we uh, ran a little over in that uh, previous segment, so we got to make this one uh, a little bit shorter. But uh, thanks for being with us here on this Wednesday. I'm Mike Steely, along with Parker Thune, Steelman, and Thune at noon, home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. All right, Kevin Sumlin was uh, at OU. What was it, 2003 through like 2007? As an assistant coach, so he knows uh, a little bit about Oklahoma football. He was on the podcast that Trevor Knight and uh, Bryce Petty do, and they they do a podcast. They they do a
2: podcast. Okay, I guess, yeah. yeah. I guess every washed up quarterback has a podcast these days.
1: Yeah, maybe every, maybe every washed
2: up football player has a podcast these days. Everybody it's has like a podcast, tw- not just football players.
1: Everybody has a podcast, right? Everybody in the entire country has a podcast. That's pretty true. Well,
2: it's he- like if you're 20-something and you're no longer playing football, like, well, yep, here's my podcast.
1: Yeah, there, there are a lot of them, that's for sure. All right, here is Kevin Sumlin on that podcast with Trevor Knight and Bryce Petty talking about the current state of Oklahoma football.
4: One of the reasons they've been so successful over time is the consistency of the administration. They know what they're looking for. It's kind of like the Dow Jones, right? It's going to be slumps. There might be a depression. Historically, with a really good product, everything's going to keep climbing. They brought Brent back who's been a part of that, who saw the national championship that days, who saw how things were built with Bob. And obviously there's that piece, you know, Brent being at, at Clemson and being around Dabo, the national championship deal, got him outside the system, but brings that with him. Uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, you know, they've, they've had a number of their players that, that transferred, uh, really good players, including in my opinion, one of the better players in the league and, and with Caleb Liz. So, you know, a guy who won games by himself at the quarterback position, uh-huh. whether we want to say it or not, he did. To, for that guy to be a freshman, to be that young a player, and another and a couple other guys to leave and go west, that hurts any program.
1: Eh.
4: There you
2: go.
1: Eh. Eh, what do you I, think? Okay, like,
2: there's, there are snippets of truth contained in there but did Caleb Williams win games all by himself? No. Now you listen. I firmly believe that if Caleb Williams doesn't enter that Texas game when he does, Texas wins. Texas Spirit. wins. But guess that per say. But that win doesn't happen without the strip from Caleb Kelly. I was just going to say. A couple of fantastic catches yeah, from Marvin Mims. Mims. Yeah, Got to think about the, the work some that Kennedy nice Brooks runs,
1: did. Uh And some good stuff on cutbacks that he did. So the O-line blocked that up pretty good. The now, defense, look, you're right. Caleb Williams was the X factor in that game. There's no doubt. But I hope this play doesn't get lost in Sooner lore because it shouldn't. And I'm glad you brought it up. That Caleb Kelly play was one of the best clutch plays I've ever seen. And what it. made an o- I mean just to take the ball away, you know? I want the football. I'm getting the football. And what made
2: it all the more beautiful and poetic was that literally not a single person in that stadium realized in the moment that Caleb Kelly actually stripped the ball from Xavier Worthy. It took about a minute until they showed the replay on the stadium scoreboard
1: and everybody kind of collectively realized, oh, Oh, Caleb Kelly has the ball. It was uh, that was such a great moment. And uh, look, Caleb had uh, had some phenomenal plays. And you could talk about the Kansas game and rescuing, uh, you know, uh, that play when Kennedy Brooks was going to get hit for the loss. Uh, that okay. was huge. Obviously, that, that might be the one get. Like without Caleb the, Williams, you might lose that Kansas game. Yeah, but but Kevin Sumlin's overstating that. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, anyway, next segment: recruiting update. By the way, recruiting update. Uh, Don't forget about the Race to the Red River promotion happening right now over at Riverway Casino. You want to win a trip, one of three they're giving away uh, to the Red River Showdown. You can do it in the Race to the Red River promotion. If you play with your wild card, you have until Saturday at 5 o'clock when the contest ends to get as many points on your wild card as you can on any, all of the electronic gaming machines are in this contest. So get out there, play with your wild card, get as many points as you can on your wild card. If you're in the top three, you're going to win one of the three trips they're giving to OU Texas. Two game day tickets, hotel stay, ground transportation. It's all taken care of. Uh, Each package valued at nearly $3,000. So you can go to the Red River Showdown, courtesy of our friends at Riverwind Casino. Just get out there, play, and use your wild card. Another great promotion from Riverwind Simply the best. All right, let's get a recruiting update when we get back here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Here we go, final segment of the first hour. We still have another hour, obviously, to come right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref. Mike Steely-Parker Thune with you. All right, recruiting. Everybody's focusing on Friday. The Sooners expected to get Macari Vickers, uh, the defensive back out of Tallahassee, Florida. Anthony Evans, the wide receiver, both four stars, by the way, Macari Vickers and Anthony Evans. Uh, But Anthony Evans, again, a little uh, other situation there. I'm hearing, and you have a ton more sources than I do, but somebody told me it's about 60-40 in favor of Georgia. What do you think? That's
2: about what it seems to be right now, and Georgia's not out of the woods by any means. But they have, I I believe, they have taken a lead for Anthony Evans, and they are best positioned right now to land his commitment. So Oklahoma's up against the clock here; they've got about 48 hours to turn the tide in their favor. But uh, as things sit right now, Georgia appears better positioned than the Sooners. Uh, to score a pledge from Anthony Evans on Friday.
1: All right, so uh, give me your version of what the Sooners' pitch should be right now to turn the tide. (laughs) Well, here's what it looks like.
2: Georgia has never, in program history, had a 1,000-yard receiver. Not once. And Oklahoma can come be a part of a dynamic lineage of wide receivers that includes, and we're just looking at recent years here, Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard. Hollywood Brown, D.D. Westbrook, C.D. Lamb, now Marvin Mims is kind of the head honcho in that room. So you're only looking at the last decade in that capacity. But you're looking at some guys that have done some incredible things at the collegiate level. Ryan Broyles shattered NCAA records. uh, Sterling Shepard shattered school records. D.D. Westbrook won a Boletnikoff award and Hollywood Brown and CeeDee Lamb, especially in tandem in 2017 and 2018, were one of the most exciting shows in all of college football. So your pitch to Anthony Evans is, hey, you got all this speed. There's no better place for a wide receiver with a skill set like yours than the University of Oklahoma. Come catch passes from Jackson Arnold at OU and be part of the outstanding tradition of wide receiver excellence at this storied university.
1: And the Sooners have also had a better tradition of uh, guys who can get the football to those wide receivers as well. Precisely. Stetson Bennett is a great story. There's no doubt about it, man, the way he came back to Georgia and uh, had to wait his time out. And look, they were carried by defense, but Stetson Bennett, you know, he's a good leader. He's an above average quarterback. Uh, what, what was the last great Georgia quarterback? You have to go all the way back to Matthew Stafford? Matthew Stafford. That would be it, right? Matthew I mean, Jake Stafford. Fromm was alright. Justin Fields went to Ohio State. Uh, Aaron Murray was okay, but nothing special. Um, You know, but yeah, the Sooners have also had a better tradition of quarterback play as well. So again, you would say Anthony Evans is cut out of the uh, Hollywood Brown, D.D. Westbrook mold.
2: Uh, yes, very much so. And I think he could be he could be the closest thing to Hollywood that OU has had since Hollywood. That's because of his elite speed: sub ten point three in the four, or in the hundred meter dash, sub four point four in the forty yard dash. So we're talking about a guy that can run, run, run some more.
1: But we're saying sixty forty in favor of uh, Georgia over Oklahoma right now. McCarty Vickers that way. is what 95%, 98 percent Oklahoma. I mean, is there any chance? Uh, Bama was on his list, right? But that changed because Bama's filled, it seems like, every slot now in the defensive backfield, right, in this class. Um, so, again, it would be an absolute surprise if Macari Vickers picked somebody else besides I, Oklahoma. I would be shocked. Yeah,
2: I would be shocked if Macari Vickers is not a Sooner on Friday. I I wouldn't be shocked if Anthony Evans is a Sooner, but I am not counting on that at all. Right now, it's just kind of a bizarre situation, isn't it? And you, you kind of understand it because Georgia's the defending national champions. And maybe that plays into it. They got a couple outstanding young quarterbacks on that roster. I really like Gunnar Stockton, their true freshman signee in the class of 2022. But man, for a wide receiver to spurn Oklahoma in favor of Georgia, especially a wide receiver from the state of Texas, just seems outlandish. And maybe that's why I'm having a hard time buying Georgia as the leader right now for Anthony Evans as we get closer and closer to a decision. But it, it does look like, based on the best intel I have right now, that Georgia does maintain the edge over OU.
1: Okay. And again, uh, this would be uh, Friday's going to be a good day for Oklahoma anyway, because you're going to get McCarry Vickers. And, uh, you know, would that, how far would that commitment shoot the Sooners up at the team rankings? Uh, would they jump? One Would they jump one spot, you think? But it could be a tremendous, great day if you get both of those guys. And it looked like, you know, a couple weeks ago that was going to be the case. It was going to be both Vickers and Evans. Now Georgia has gotten very much into the mix, and a lot of people think uh, the Bulldogs have a slight lead. For Anthony Evans. But uh, Friday, Macari Vickers making his announcement at halftime of his game, right? That's right. And his addition would move Oklahoma into the top five of so the 24-7 just,
2: sports team rankings.
1: Just Vickers.
2: Just Vickers gets you into the top five. Anthony Evans, I believe, takes you up to number four, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Wow. that's It's still it's going to be a remarkable class. And unless some things really change, uh, there are a lot of things that are going to be positive happening for Oklahoma. You know down the road as well david hicks jordan renard possibly who knows what's going to happen with your guy pb i'll just say pb Uh, not nice well done uh ryan yates uh Akana, kana all of those guys very much in the mix and you mentioned one other that could be in the mix defensive line prospect i keep marcus Steele. marcus Marcus Steele Steele is
2: who you're thinking of yes and then Obviously, the big wild card offensively is Malachi Coleman, whether the Sooners can close on him or whether they have to employ the backup plan at the tight end position. Uh, Coleman, a national top 100 guy, that's you, you just don't find a skill set like his in every single cycle. He's a unicorn. He's a legitimate unicorn. So
1: He's on that freak list with P.J. Adebare, right? You'd love
2: to have him in a Sooner uniform. It's not, If not, it's not the end of the world, but... Man, wouldn't that be a nice cherry on top to this Oklahoma class on the offensive side?
1: No doubt. All right, thank you to Tim Lasher's great company, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, for sponsoring our first hour here on Steelman & Thune. Family-owned, family-operated, service in the greater Oklahoma City area now for 15 years. You need AC work done, they'll get it done for you at a great price, 405-579-3113. That is Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Break time for the top of the hour. Let's figure out the Sooners' record this fall when we get back on The Ref. Yes, sir, here we go into hour number two, presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a car, truck, or SUV, or a used vehicle. Seth Wadley Auto Group. Remember, exit 72 in Paul's Valley and great service after the sale. Tremendous guarantee. Oil changes, engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. All right, here in just a bit, we're going to go to the Air Comfort Solutions. Text line 405 651 3439. We are here in the Brown O'Haber Studios. All right, so Parker, um, figuring out Oklahoma's record this fall. I have the Sooners going 11 and 1. Homer. All right, yeah, but I have Oklahoma going 11 and 1. But here's where I can't figure what I can't figure out. Where is the loss going to happen? We're, we're I, literally on the exact same wavelength. Here is what I have uh, automatic wins. The column has got three teams UTEP, Kent State, Kansas. Automatic W's. Should win games at Iowa State, at Tech, at TCU, at West Virginia. And then, that that's seven games. And then losable games at Nebraska, K-State, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma State. You've got three of those at home, one on a neutral field, and one of those is a true away game. Now, if you're Oklahoma, you should win your home games. You should beat K-State at home. You should beat Baylor at home. You should beat Oklahoma State at home. I'm not saying they're going to be easy, but you're Oklahoma. You should win those home games. That leaves at Nebraska and the game against Texas, and I look at those and I'm like, man, Nebraska was three and nine last year. I mean, are they going to be better? Probably, but that much better. Texas was five and freaking seven, man. They've already had injuries on the offensive line, but so I'm wondering where does where does that loss come from? Because I, I don't see OU going twelve and zero. Could they? Absolutely. But where is that loss going to come? Uh, and that's the
2: million-dollar question, Mike. I don't have any more of an answer than you do. I think the one game that everybody's going to overlook is that game at TCU at Amon G. Carter Stadium on October the 1st. Because that uh, that in gen- that entire situation just worries me. Because it's the week before the game against Texas, So, you're going to have to make absolutely certain as a coaching staff that your players are not looking past TCU.
1: And you have just played in Lincoln and come home to play Kansas State the two games before, and as you said, after TCU, you go to the Cotton Bowl. Correct. So, you cannot get caught looking past
2: an opponent to Texas the way the Sooners did in 2020. Remember when they went up to Ames, and Iowa State did not look like a good football team at that point. They just lost to Louisiana. In their season opener. And Oklahoma got caught napping. They were asleep behind the wheel. And Iowa State and Brees Hall made them pay for it. So you cannot get past you, you cannot get caught looking past TCU because that is a team that has the firepower to make you pay. Now I have said this time and again, and I will continue to say it. My opinion of TCU as a football team changes drastically based on who is named the starting quarterback because I believe that program's ceiling is much higher with Chandler Morris under center than Max Duggan I'm not really all that worried if it's Max Duggan for TCU taking the snaps if I'm Oklahoma I like my odds going up against Max Duggan if you got to go up against Chandler Morris that has the opportunity to present some problems. Hey, look what he did!
1: Look what he did to a Dave Aranda defense last year.
2: And that's no easy thing. That no. is no easy task. Chandler Morris is the only reason why
1: Baylor didn't make the College Football Playoff last year. Think about that. He, I mean, he was unbelievable. What did he have? Was it over 600 yards combined total offense? I need to go ahead and Google it up, or in this case, ESPN it up. But yeah, it was uh, it was remarkable. So. Are you saying that uh, one of those losses could be in the should-win category where I have at Iowa State, at Tech, at TCU, and at West, Virgin- West Virginia? The
2: loss, I would say, there, uh, there are several games. I, I believe OU will beat Nebraska. I believe that. I believe OU will beat Texas. There are a handful of games. I don't even know if there are a handful. There, are, Here are the games that I look at and I say, okay, I can see Oklahoma losing that one. TCU, as I just mentioned, is pretty high up on that list. Kansas State is high up on that list. I am bullish on the Wildcats in 2022. The Baylor game's a coin flip. Going up to Morgantown, I know I probably shouldn't be worried because Oklahoma has never lost to West Virginia during the entirety of the Mountaineers' tenure in the Big 12. But I expect that West Virginia team to be improved. So that one could get tricky. And then another game that most everybody seems to be looking past is the road trip to Ames to play Iowa State, where the Sooners lost in 2020. So I I would say those five games to me, TCU, Iowa State, West Virginia, Baylor, Kansas State, those are the five in the very losable category for me. And there are tiers to that, right? Like the Kansas State and Baylor games are much more losable, I would say, than – Iowa State, TCU, West Virginia. Kansas State and Baylor are the two opponents I would be most concerned about if I'm an OU fan right now.
1: And if you can get through October 8th, you know, that means obviously you win in Lincoln, you come home, and you beat K-State, K and you uh, you beat Texas and Dallas. That's the brunt of your schedule, man. That You know, because you've got the – not trying to disrespect Baylor and Oklahoma State because I think they're going to be good football teams, but you have those teams at home. And that's where the schedule favors Oklahoma very much this year. Is playing those Big Twelve contenders at home. So again, I think eleven and one for Oklahoma. Brian in Tulsa. I saw someone on Twitter say we are going seven and five. I wasn't a good student in school, but that doesn't add up to me at all. That was Stuart Mandel,
2: mm-hmm. the same man who is billing Nebraska's home tilt with North Dakota. As a, and I quote directly, trap game. So you tell me. Is that to be taken seriously?
1: No. The idea that Oklahoma
2: could go 7-5 and five in
1: 2022? I mean, the only way that happens is if you go to Lincoln and lose, then you lose to the Horns, and all of a sudden you've got two losses by October 8th, and then you've got uh, tough games. You know, that Baylor and Oklahoma State game get a lot tougher, and you talked about some of the road trips later. Uh, you know, if you lose some confidence and you lose your swagger early in the season, but I would be shocked. Abs, I think this floor for Oklahoma, the, the absolute floor would be eight and four, and, uh, and that would be a disaster. Our resident
2: salty poke fan on the Air Comfort Solutions text line says, No Oklahoma State, LMFAO whistling past the graveyard.
1: Yeah, here's the difference. I just said Oklahoma State was a losable game, but OU has them at home. I yeah. mean, on on a neutral field, probably a coin flip. No, it's, no, on
2: a neutral field, Oklahoma is still a clearly better. You're right.
1: I would say I would give State. Oklahoma the edge. I wouldn't say it's like I don't know. I, I would go to three to five points. In Stillwater. Uh, you know, maybe Oklahoma State's a very, very slight favorite. i got to see what happens with that Oklahoma State defense. Jim Knowles is at another OSU now. I think Jarek Mason's a good hire. I think Mike Gundy's a good coach. But, again, the Sooners have Oklahoma State in Norman. And here's what Oklahoma State doesn't have.
2: No Jalen Warren. No Malcolm Rodriguez. No Jarek Bernard Converse. I can go on. The point is Oklahoma State loses a lot from 2021 to 2022. That that
1: defense was historically good, man. Yes, and I
2: have said, and I will continue to say, I am very excited to see Oklahoma State's crop of young wide receivers because I think Jaden Bray and Talon Shetron have the opportunity to be two of the most exciting players in the entire Big 12. I just don't see where it adds up across the rest of the roster, and especially with that game being played in Norman – I expect Oklahoma to handle Oklahoma State, as is generally the norm.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing is, uh, look, Mike Gundy and that staff, year after year, it seems like, and there are a few years that are exceptions, but they do as good a job as developing. You talk about, you know, the antithesis of Texas; it's Oklahoma State. That's why over the last, you know, decade plus. Going back 12 years or so, Oklahoma State's been better than Texas because Texas gets the four and five stars. Oklahoma State, where are they right now in recruiting? Like 55th or something like that. But guess what? Those Oklahoma State coaches are going to develop those players and make them better.
2: Rob Glass is a name. One of the best. He's a name that not a lot of casual college football fans know, but he is the straw that stirs the drink in that Oklahoma State football program. He
1: is to Oklahoma State where Jerry Schmidt has been to Oklahoma and is at Oklahoma now. I mean, uh, you know, those guys are, are the best in the business, among the very best, respected by everybody. So, again, uh, Oklahoma State, I think, is going to have a very interesting season, but the problem is for the Cowboys, again, they have to play uh, Oklahoma in Norman. I think Oklahoma
2: State is a solid eight-win football team in 2022.
1: Uh, I think they could get to 9. I think, I think they, they could, could get, get yeah. to 9 too. Absolutely.
2: Look, I I think their record last year and I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to take credit away from what Mike Gundy did because it was a very impressive coaching job. But I think if you replayed that season 10 times over, I don't know whether Oklahoma State wins 12 games again. Yeah. You know, there was there was a lot that went their way and they to their credit they came up with some big plays in big moments to get some big victories. I'm just not sure whether that's replicable with the cast of characters that they're going to have heading into this 2022 season.
1: From the 404, Oklahoma State sucks. That's not a losable game. This isn't wrestling. Well, I mean, losable means uh, you're playing against a good team. And uh, Oklahoma State, you know, it can happen. Tyree Kill. Double punts, not cool.
2: Apparently, Stuart Mandel, and I haven't seen the complete poll because I don't subscribe to The Athletic, but apparently he also has Texas finishing behind Kansas in the Big 12. I mean, now listen, that just
1: sounds like clickbait BS. It is
2: clickbait BS, and as much as everyone, save for the fan base of the University of Texas, would love to see that, it is very implausible. Very implausible.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group. Paul's Valley Exit 72. So I have the Sooners 11-1 and of the season. And again, trying to figure out where that loss is going to come. But I just, you know, I, I think, again, the only way that it implodes on Oklahoma is you lose to Nebraska and you lose in the Cotton Bowl. And if something happens to Dylan Gabriel. That would be to me those. That's how you could bottom out maybe at eight and four. And right now, I think Davis Bevel would be the backup, right? He would right now, and he is huge, man. He's yeah, a, a large mammal. He's what like six fives? Is he? Did he's we say list, six?
2: He's listed at six six, and I don't know if it's because he's always standing next to all the other quarterbacks, most of whom are not nearly that tall. I mean, Dylan Gabriel's. I, He's 5'11", and General Booty is, I mean, he's not short, but he's 6'2". Nick Evers is the tallest among the group at 6'3", save for Davis Bevel. But I don't know if it's just because he looks that much taller compared to the rest of the quarterbacks, but when you see Davis Bevel out there on the football field, he looks about 6'8".
1: You know what? Here's what I want to happen, though. Davis Bevel might be winning that backup quarterback job right now, and hey, big Davis Bevel guy, no doubt. But, General Booty, you've got to come on here and make a run at this number two. I can't even At the backup spot, (laughs) make a run at this number two, General Booty. You know why? Because that wife Gabriel struggles in one game. Guess what we're doing? We're making a booty call. That's right. I said it. I know it's bad. I should go to break right now. Let's do it while I have a shred of dignity left. I'm losing it quickly. Be right back. Okay. Welcome back. Was it uh, Bear Bryant who said back in the day, football is not a contact sport. Dancing is a contact sport. Football is a hitting sport. And you know what I like? OU is getting physical. And the year that we lost Olivia Newton-John, rest in peace, OU is getting physical again. They're not playing grab ass out there. Flag football with Muleshoe and that finesse BS at practice again. Has Muleshoe taken a personal day out at SC yet? I don't know. I
2: feel like if he had – We would have seen it circulating on Twitter because immediately OU Twitter would have grabbed it and made all kinds of jokes about it. Any
1: uh, sailfish incident yet do we know of? No sailfish incident, Steele. Has he put out any deep sea fishing pictures?
2: I'm sure he has. I don't follow him on social media. I don't either.
1: You know what? I blocked Mule Sue. You blocked Mule Sue? I blocked Mule Sue. Wow. How about that right there? Impressive. And Clark Stroud. You think Clark Stroud's still following him around like a little puppy dog? doing everything i know that's what you do when you're the football ops guy but still (laughs) that attention-seeking clown somebody uh, texted me a long time ago steely you're the clown you worship bob stoops and bob stoops likes clark stroud so who's the clown well if bob likes clark stroud that's fine i'm just still angry and i don't like attention-seeking clowns that's all i'm saying I'm still angry about this. I, man. Okay, who could, Stanford week two? Uh, the Fresno Revenge game. Fresno State's got a quarterback. They've got a decent squad. Oh, please give me a loss besides Notre Dame and the non-con. And give me, David Shaw, what happened to you? Stanford, what happened to Stanford? Can you pull, uh, can you, Put Mule Shoe in his place early on ABC TV. That would be awesome. That game is uh, September 10th, I believe. September 10th, yes. Oh, my gosh. I got to get a Stanford hoodie between now and then. Yes. Before or after you purchase the Rice hoodie? Uh, The Rice hoodie is already on the way. Oh, okay.
2: You're just going to do one for every single one of USC's opponents? Maybe.
1: I might. I might do it. So. I have never rooted for anybody's demise as much as this. Well, Kevin Durant for a while, too. But you knew where he was going. You know, he took the easy way out, just like Mule Shoes taking the easy way out. By the way, what a hilarious situation between Kevin Durant and Brooklyn. Yeah, that's. uh, It seems like great chemistry there, right? With him deciding to stay (laughs) there. There's no way this could possibly end poorly at this point, right? Well, you've got two guys who I think are uh, great players, but very questionable in their mental toughness, Kyrie and KD. Yeah, clearly, clearly, all of the drama. Is behind
2: them in Brooklyn. Clearly, this is going to be outstanding basketball.
1: Smooth sailing, no doubt. Okay, so anyway, what I like about OU, you've seen the videos. First of all, again, you don't have a paranoid megalomaniac, uh, you know, trying to keep people out of practice, right? That was what Muleshoe did. And remember, you were spying on us. I mean, the guy was so paranoid. Brent Vittables has come to you with open arms, just like Journey for the fans and the media, hey, come watch us, you know. Now, I'm I'm sure certain parts of practice obviously are off limits, but this is a really cool open-door policy, and you know what? We're seeing physical practices. I love what Brent said on the uh, SiriusXM College sports radio the other day with with Dusty, and it's Danny Connell who does that show, I think, with Dusty, right? Uh, Here's what Brent said. OU will continue to be very physical in practice.
4: You can't ever compromise, you know, being physical. There's no substitute for it. So you can't practice soft and, and play hard. That's the only way I wish, I wish I could change that. You know, it takes what it takes to be a physical football team. And, and so you got to practice that way. And, you know, the byproduct of that sometimes is, is you get, get some guys banged up. And uh, you try to be smart about it like everybody Oh uh, there's no quote unquote science to it, but if you want to play tough and physical, then you got to practice that way.
1: I love that.
2: You I mean, know what a, a key distinction between the Mule Shoe practice agenda and the Venables practice agenda has been thus far?
1: What's that? Tackling drills. Uh see, and you you know uh, is tackling a big part of football? Well, yes, it is one of the biggest block tack blocking and tackling. Uh, maybe the two biggest things. Because you got to win up front and you've got to stop people. And, look, you got to throw the ball. you got to run the ball. We, we know all of that. But they rarely practice tackling. Did they ever take guys to the ground hardly during a meal shoot practice? Now, again, we didn't see all of them. But this was uh, flag football, basically, out there. And, again, there may be um, maybe next fall. Who knows? We're not, you know, Oklahoma fans aren't completely through with camp yet but school started so it's it's going to taper down a little bit maybe one year you get a couple players injured i mean that could still happen when you're not tackling but again i think one of the biggest complaints of ou fans for a while now has been they have been too soft on defense
2: well let's just let's think about this from a logistical standpoint a play can end one of three ways right it can end in a tackle it can end in an incompletion or it can end in a touchdown. You don't really practice plays ending in touchdowns. So, it would stand to reason that the two areas of defense where you would want to be the most effective would be, and in this order, tackling and pass defense. Coverage. Now, the Sooners really didn't, (laughs) they didn't, they didn't do a whole lot of either before Alex Grinch got to town. After Alex Grinch got to town, pass coverage, they, they made they made, a, they made strides. It was never elite. It was never even—I I, I don't know that it was ever good. But at least they played pass defense once Alex Grinch took over for Mike Stoops. One thing that has been the consistent common denominator over the years— Regardless of who was calling the plays defensively, if you go back in really the entirety of the Mule Shoe era, the Sooners struggled to tackle. And again, the vast majority of plays for your defense are going to culminate in a tackle. Someone among, your, uh, among the 11 on the field for you is going to have to make a tackle. So tackling is generally not something you want to neglect in practice but the Sooners did it.
1: Yeah, yeah they did. They did and it. again, I I I like that because uh particularly, you know, how many missed tackles did you see or arm tackles? Um a bunch. A bunch. So yes, it is called tackle football. Uh tackling is like Bruce Lee, dummies don't hit back. Hey, I like that. I like that. Yes. Um so, anyway, I just love seeing that uh, physical football out there where you're actually, you know, bringing people to the ground. Uh, the quarterbacks, obviously, are being protected as much as they can, which is obviously smart. But uh, and, and as Brent says, it sounds very simple, but, you know, if you don't practice hard, you're not going to play hard. You know, uh, And that, again, very simplistic, but – I don't know. Mule Shoe was just a more, much more of a finesse guy. And how much of a difference can this make? All right, when Bob Stoops came in, and I know that '99 team that went to freaking Shreveport finished seven and five, but you could tell immediately the next season, immediately, and they were close in a lot of those games. They could have been nine and three or better, but. They made an immediate transformation. And then the next season, obviously, they won a national championship. It's because they pushed those guys, man. Jerry Schmidt was here. They pushed those guys. I was down for a couple scrimmages on the sidelines, and I can still remember Bob getting into, like, Rocky Kalmas. You know, oh, you think this is going to be a freaking screen pass? You know, what are you doing? You know, and uh, it was worse than that. But those guys, it was an immediate transformation because John Blake, Howard was just Howard. John Blake, uh, again, great guy, good position coach, disorganized, good recruiter. They weren't super tough on those guys. They may have thought they were, but I saw, man, these guys are kind of looking at let's, this new staff like, holy cow, this is different. And I think you're going to see that uh, transformation with uh, with Brandon, this football team too.
2: By the way, Doc up in Oregon says I realize it's the longest of shots, but I do welcome my fellow Sooner fans to the fan base of my grad school alma mater, the Rice Owls, as we take on the Fighting Mule Shoes in Week One.
1: Yes, uh, Mule Shoe needs uh, Mule Shoe needs a like six and six. Worse than that, but the problem is they're probably going to finish like 9-3 and three or something like that. But, I, you know, they lose to R- Fresno State or Stanford early. Oh, please. Maybe Rice takes him to the wire, which I seriously doubt. But, you know, I don't want to see him getting all this attention on all the pregame shows and then coming out, well, we really loved it there, but you only get so many opportunities, you know. Shut up. Shut up. Week two, I'm going to have my popcorn ready. Stanford hoodie. Ready to see the rise and fall of Mule Shoe. It will be fantastic, hopefully. All right, stay with us. A lot more texts rolling in. We'll get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line again when we get back here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Yes, yeah, Sark made the call for the mighty Quinn the other day. Quinn Ewers, the greatest NIL money collector so far in college football history. Also now the starting quarterback at the University of Texas. Uh, and uh, he will run into Alabama, by the way, in week two for the Longhorns. Uh, there at DKR in a rooster kickoff in Austin. All right, uh, Sark talked about the decision uh, yesterday to name Quinn Ewers his starting QB.
2: Well, Quinn can make all the throws. Um, I feel very comfortable about that. I feel comfortable about his playmaking ability. Um, I-, I feel like his growth in the system uh, has been one where we can really kind of see where it's going to head under him. And i um, excited about it. I don't feel like he's a true freshman because of the exposure he got last year, uh, but clearly he was new to our offense, new to our new to our, our team, um, and, and I've said this all along about Quinn. I thought he came in with a, a really kind of open mind. Um, I thought he's been a very good teammate, um, and I thought he's been really coachable, and my expectation is he'll continue that in, in and then only get
1: better in those in those in those areas. All right, so boom, bust, or meh for Quinn Ewers.
2: Steve Sarkeesian's endorsement sounded very meh. Like I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but that did not sound like a head coach who is confident in the guy he's named the starter.
1: You know, and what we heard, again, that this was a close race, right, Parker? But neither of them was, you know, just playing incredible football, unless all the reports from Texas are just, you know, trying to throw us off. But you've seen some video from Longhorn Practices, but uh, Quinn Ewers wins the job. He has a higher ceiling, you would think, than, uh, than Hudson Card does. But neither of those guys were blowing people away with what they did in, in workouts, from what I'm hearing. So, we'll see. And generally,
2: like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Generally, when you're naming a starting quarterback, I don't know, you tell me if I'm wrong here, Mike. As a head coach, it feels like when you make an announcement like this, you generally say something about how he separated himself from the rest of the group and really took control as far as his leadership and his ability to do all the things that come with playing the quarterback position at a high level. Really, all Steve Sarkeesian said was, "Well, yeah, he can uh, he can make all the throws. I'm confident in that, and uh, he's our guy."
1: Maybe they told Sark to, "Hey, tamp down uh, expectations. Can you do that, uh, even for Quinn? All right. How much nil money did it take them to get Quinn Ewers?" In the, in the ballpark of $2 million? Is that what we're hearing? It was north of that. And uh, this is a kid, again, who skipped his senior season at South Lake Carroll, right?
2: Well, he didn't skip it. He just uh, basically graduated early and went straight to Ohio State. Okay, so he
1: graduated. Yeah, you got to graduate. But he went to Ohio State. He was a non-factor there, which was just a weird, really weird deal, the whole thing. And uh, C.J. Stroud, of course, was phenomenal. And... Um, you know, but we'll see. We'll see what his impact is going to be on Longhorn football because Texas has had quarterback issues since Colt McCoy went down in that matchup against Alabama. And like I said, that night, Garrett Gilbert came in and played pretty well. It's almost like he didn't have time to think about it, but they have just not been that good at quarterback. I thought Casey Thompson was pretty good, though, last year. Pretty good. Uh, it was really good against Oklahoma, right? Five touchdown passes, and some of those throws were just they were big-time throws. So
2: On the Air Coverage Solutions text line, Kendall says, Sark was pressured by the big money donors. I don't question that. I don't know if – I'm not going to sit here and say that's why the decision was made. But when you look at that, you I don't say that's
1: ridiculous you, because it's Texas, right? No,
2: but I promise you Sark was getting pressure from the BMDs to make Quinn Ewers the starter because – When you understand how much money that BMDs at Texas shelled out to make sure Quinn Ewers ended up a Longhorn. Think about this, Mike. They had to outbid Texas Tech. Now, at face value, you hear that sentence and you're like, okay, how hard is that? Tech's
1: got some money, right? But
2: Tech's got a crap ton of money, Mike. Tech's got a crap ton of money. They've just never had any reason to use it. Oil But patch there's a money. lot of oil money out there in West Texas.
1: I guess the oil patch is that Midland, Odessa. I don't know. But, um, which is crazy. So uh, it's going to be, again, I, I don't know. Hudson Card, we saw enough of him last year to know that he's Hudson freaking Card. He plays like his name sounds. Very, very. Hmm. Which is one of the simplest. Most, uh, like, you have
2: very rarely, in the year that we've been working together, I don't know that you've said something so brief that has been so astute and so perfectly reflective of the situation than to simply say, Hudson Card plays like his name sounds.
1: Should we do a new segment called Brief and Astute? Or how about Brief and Brilliant? brief and brilliant there you go that's because that's what it, that's what it is it's brief and it's brilliant <laughs> uh, it happens once every uh, I don't know six months or so okay uh, let's get to the air comfort solutions tax line four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine six five one thirty four thirty nine. 651 3439 and this is what happens also when you focus a lot of your recruiting philosophy on Nil. Now, Quinn Ewers is an exception I think, but Texas is, you know, Texas and Texas ain't They're throwing a lot of money around. There's no doubt and that could can lead to some chemistry issues as well. We'll see. And in fact, that to me the biggest uh, petri dish experiment for NIL is happening in College Station more than anywhere else right now. So we'll see. Okay. And da, 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 da just figure how much they will shell out for manning what 2 million or more i don't know is is was the arch manning uh recruitment a lot about n i l what have you heard on the arch manning dollars
2: i haven't heard a whole heck of a lot in that regard most pr- probably because there's just an understanding that wherever arch ends up he's going to make a ridiculous amount of money That's one of those recruitments where when you're the consensus number one prospect in the land for as long as Arch has been that, you don't really need to worry about money. And when you come from the Manning family tree, you are doubly unworried about money. So I don't really view NIL as a significant factor in Arch Arch Manning's decision solely because I, I don't think it needs to be a big factor for a kid like that. His family's got boatloads of money. Yeah. He is the number one prospect in all of high school football. Regardless of where he ends up, he's going to have NIL deals out the wazoo lined up for him.
1: LG Sooner 63 says, Yes, Mule Shoe is a very creative offensive mind, but defenses eventually catch up to new things. Two things teams don't catch up to are physicality and fundamentals. Amen. LG Sooner 63. 63. Nailed it. Nailed it. You hit the bullseye. Hit the bullseye, no doubt. Uh, How do you think the Sooners will do this year versus, uh, again, uh, rush three, drop eight?
2: Well, you're not going to be able to do that against Jeff Levy because Jeff Levy will just run the ball Mm -hmm. down your throat, which is what Muleshoe wouldn't do. Do you think? uh, Uh, If if it comes to it, Jeff Levy will put his quarterback under center which Muleshue never did, by the way, he'll put his quarterback
1: under center and just
2: be like, okay, we're going to hand it off.
1: Matt Matt Corral had some big rushing games last year, right? He did? Yeah.
2: He did, and Dylan Gabriel isn't quite that guy. He has an understated running ability that will come into play this year at some point, but it's going to be much more about the backs in 2022 for the Sooners.
1: All right, break time right here. Ladies and gentlemen, we have one more segment to go, and uh, we've got locked in coming up at the top of the hour. It'll be uh, Tyler McComas in with Parker. We'll talk a little recruiting and more, get a few texts in as well. Air Comfort Solutions, text line 405 651 3439. You're at the home of Sooner fans. The radio. uh, Hang on, I can't speak. We're the Ref Radio Network. That's who we are. Be right back. Oh, Mike, we got some bad news. Uh-oh.
2: If you're a Thunder fan, that is. What? Yes. What is it? So, Chet Holmgren, the Slim Reaper. Yes. The Thin Tower grew whatever you call him. Mm-hmm. Per Sham Sharania. Oh, no. Uh, th- th- This is what Shams tweeted about 25 minutes ago. There's fear Oklahoma City Thunder number two pick Chet Holmgren has suffered ligament damage in his foot, and he is undergoing further opinions.
1: Oh, no. Wow. I shouldn't have turned uh, his notifications off, but I figured, eh, you know, it's not a big deal. This, uh, you know, when he was at playing in the crossover... Uh, and uh, guarding LeBron. So, yeah, that's – we'll see. We'll keep an eye on that for sure. Okay, Riverwind Casino, you want to go to the Oklahoma-Texas game, the Red River Showdown, courtesy of our friends at Riverwind. You can get your wild card out because you need your wild card at Riverwind. That's going to do you a lot of good uh, to have that wild card. Pile up as many points as you can. All-out blitz with your wild card until this Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock when they end the Race to the Red River promotion and they find out the top three patrons with the most points on their wild card from August 1st through, again, this Saturday at 5 o'clock. And if you are one of the top three, guess what? You're going to win a trip to OU Texas, the Red River Showdown complete with game tickets, hotel, ground transportation, everything courtesy of our friends at Riverwind Casino. So you need to get out and close right now. Uh, You know, midway through the fourth quarter basically is what we're talking about. So if you want to win a trip worth nearly $3,000 to the Red River Showdown, you can. Get out and play. Play with your wild card. You can play penny slots and rack up a bunch of points, right? Just sit there and play those if you have to. Uh, But again, Race to the Red River Courtesy of our friends at Riverwind Casino, another great promotion and another reason why Riverwind is simply the best. Okay, I uh, what want to take uh, get a couple texts? In? Yeah, let's because let's the
2: the texter that I have dubbed "Salty Poke Fan" on the Air Comfort Solutions sex line uh, th- over the course of that segment that we were talking about Oklahoma State just continued to fire away. And eventually said, the delusion coming from your camp is astonishing. You've taken a step back. I feel the need to offer Salty poke fan a wager as to the outcome of Bedlam this year. So, to that particular individual, and you know who you are. If you're willing to make a wager on the outcome of Bedlam, I will be happy to entertain you in that capacity. Make me an offer on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll see where this goes. I, I'm 1-0 on listener bets this year now that Baker Mayfield has been named the starter for the Carolina Panthers. So batting a 1,000 for the moment. Uh, we'll see if Salty Poke fan chimes back in here. Uh, but let's continue to explore what we've gotten on the Air Comfort Solutions text line over the last couple of segments. Oh, boy. <laughs> One listener in the 918 says, When Josh Jacobs trucked Robert Barnes, I knew we needed to be more physical and wouldn't compete until we were. That that one play kind of summed up the entire 2018 season for mm-hmm. Oklahoma defensively. Yep. Microcosm of the Mike Stoops slash Ruffin McNeil experience. It's unfortunate for Robert Barnes, though, because he, yeah, was, was. he was never quite the same after that. Pastor Andy from B.A. asks, who has potential for the bigger unexpected breakout season? Offense? Marcus Major or Theo Weiss? defense key lawrence or billy bowman and he adds p.s muleshoe muleshoe equals
1: judas jk kinda yeah there's uh well yeah betrayal total betrayal no doubt who's who's jesus is it joe
2: castiglione or is it bob stoops with that analogy
1: uh right now i would go bob
2: okay so as to pastor andy's question Marcus Major, Theo Weiss. I like Weiss more just because he's the guy that's – he's always had so much potential, and he's delivered. You go back to 2020, he was a key cog in that Oklahoma passing attack.
1: Billy Bowman on the other one?
2: I would go with Billy Bowman. I'd, I'd give him the slight edge over Key Lawrence defensively. Man, I really do think Theo Weiss can have an outstanding year if everything breaks his way. It's it's going to boil down to how many targets he ends up getting alongside Marvin Mims and Jalil Farouk because – Somebody has to be the odd man out, right? You're not going to have a situation, and it's not at all healthy to have a situation like you did last year. And I cite this statistic so often. The Sooners had five players with at least 30 catches and none with more than 40. You're not going to see the wealth spread that evenly across the board. The best receivers are going to get the ball the most. If Theo Weiss proves he's one of the two or three guys at the top of the depth chart, I think he can have a huge year. I really do believe that. I think... Any way you slice it, he's due for a bounce back after sitting out the entire 2021 season with that foot injury.
1: It'll be interesting. And, uh, you know, don't forget Justin Harrington, man. Uh, He has been – if you you look at one individual story of fall camp so far, it's probably Justin Harrington above everybody else. And a part of that is the incredible story, again, that they said, all right, you can come back, no scholarship. You might get a scholarship video (laughs) down the road – Uh, the way he's been performing, at least in fall camp. All right, thank you, Seth Wadley Auto Group, Paul's Valley. Much appreciated sponsorship of our second hour. Again, Exit 72 for a great deal on a car, truck, or an SUV. I think uh, Tyler McComas has his sights locked in on Stuart Mandel in his 75 prediction. This should be be wonderful. It should be fun. Everybody, have yourselves a great Wednesday. We've got Locked In coming up next here on The Ref.